All right, good morning, everyone. Well, great to see all of you here. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some difficult times in life, and oh, do they come. <laughs> amen? I know we don't like saying amen to that, but the truth of it is uh, life is filled with tough times. Uh, it might be small. It might be temporary. They might be large, but they will come. And the interesting thing is, is sometimes as Christians, we get caught off by it, and sometimes we get surprised. But the Bible clearly, many, many times in Scripture, tries to warn us that we should not be surprised. You should expect life to be tumultuous, right? I'm going to just give you one verse, if you take a look at the screen. 1 Peter 4.12, speaking to the church and those that are loved by God, says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Meaning, don't get caught off guard. Life sometimes will get difficult. You need to know this. But the interesting thing, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes struggle. And I get caught off guard, right? And sometimes I live with the assumption that my life should be perfect, problem-free. And any little kind of tidbit of difficulty, and I ask, like, God, what are you doing? Where are you, right? And I get caught off guard. It's interesting. Um, so there is a couple. These are the Carters, not the Carters you're thinking about, but this is the other Carters, okay? They are Jason and Lisa Carter. They are missionaries in Africa, Equatorial Guinea. And they went uh, with big dreams of doing God's will. And life got really hard. And one of the tipping points is when they have two kids and their second son um, had a lot of complications with the birth because of a bug bite and just different things in Africa. They just weren't up to date technologically. And they just, they couldn't handle it. And I want to share actually a little excerpt of kind of their diary and something they shared. And I think it profoundly speaks into this, okay? So he says this, Jason and Lisa Carter, in the States, talking to us as Americans, when suffering occurs, many times we are surprised by it. My attitude usually is there are solutions. This isn't supposed to happen. Everything will turn out okay. In Africa, people would be surprised if suffering didn't occur. Nobody in the hospital What's going on here? I can remember some days when our church of almost 1,800 members in Bloomington, Illinois, didn't have a single person in the hospital. That would never happen in Equatorial Guinea. But yet, here I am, still getting surprised by suffering, both ours and our friends' suffering, showing me how American I really am. Suffering is never part of the plan, or rather, Never part of our plan. I want to speak into something, my brothers and sisters. We're going to be talking about big problems and difficulties that come. But sometimes I think our first struggle is, what? What's going on? Because we live with the assumption that our problem should not exist in our lives. And that's not biblical at all, right? And so we find the disciples here having to wrestle with this because a great windstorm. Not just like a, it's not like the small itty-bitty problem. They are going through something that is catastrophic. So that's where we're going first. Okay? You guys good? You guys with me? Yes? Okay, thank you. Point one. 
the great windstorms of life. In verse 35, it says this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, you need to understand, when the Bible says great, this is humongous. You know how you know that? Because the disciples were what? They were expert fishermen. They lived on the sea. They were aware of small itty-bitty storms that come through the Lake of Galilee. So this was nothing new to them. But this storm was gigantic because even though they lived their whole life on the sea, this was one where they looked at it and said, there's no way. We're not going to make it. There's no skill. There's no knowledge. There's nothing I can do to help fix this problem. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a day like that? I mean, I have. Um, I mean, I've shared this, but my younger brother, his name's Sung. Actually, his real name is Ricky now, because he changed it when he became a citizen. Side note, he changed it to Ricky because he likes Ricky Ricardo from I Love Lucy. This is not even a joke. He came home, he was 16, and he was like, I was like, hey, Sung, how did it go? He was like, oh, my name's Ricky. It's like, what? But anyway, see, his name's Ricky now, so now you know it's Ricky Ricardo. But um, if you know a little bit about his story, you know, he, he got arrested and he was on trial for first-degree murder because he was with some friends at a PC gaming store. And one of his friends pulled out a gun and shot him and killed the guy, cold blood, right there. And him and his four friends were all tried as a gang. Because in California, the definition of a gang is very loose. And so he had life on life possible. So I still remember distinctly. I had just graduated from UCLA, thinking myself to be really, you know how you think you're like smarter than you really are, right? I was like, dude, I'm so smart. I have a degree from UCLA. I have a minor too, right? So I thought I was all that. And I was sitting there. I, I distinctly remember this. I was sitting there. In the courtroom, the first trial, my brother comes out in an orange jumpsuit, shackled up, and they're going through this whole thing. And I thought to myself, and I had this thought, I was like, there is no experience, no gifting, no skill, nothing I could do right now, no smarts that is going to help this situation. And I sat there and I said, I can't do anything. Have you ever had days like that? Because that's what the disciples are going through. They're sitting there, and for the first time, maybe they thought of themselves as very self-sufficient, and now they are broken, thinking to themselves, I'm going to die today. I am helpless. I cannot make it. There's a valuable lesson, I think. The first thing that I want you to kind of think about is this. In their desperation, they turn to who? Jesus. And there's a valuable lesson there. And we hear this a lot. Ever since we, I grew up in, you know, and just, you know, talking with Bible study teachers in high school, they used to always tell me, yeah, you should go to Jesus and spend time with him. And we should. And particularly when you feel helpless, you should go to Jesus. There are a lot of people that turn to alcohol. They'll turn to friends. They'll turn to all sorts of things. But they don't turn to the solution, which is Christ. Right? This is why in the Bible, 
If you look, the Lord is speaking to his people in Psalm 50, 15 and says this, call upon me in the day of trouble. Call upon me and I will deliver you. And that's the first thing that I want to just kind of bring before you. What do we do when we face the difficult trials? Do we go to Christ? Because when we are helpless, I want you to understand something, that our help is always available in our Savior. Amen? So that's the first thing that I want you to kind of wrestle with. The second thing, and it's very simple, but it's so relevant, is this, Jesus cares. I know this is so cheesy and I make you do it, but do you mind saying to your neighbor, you know, Jesus cares for you? Do you mind? Like, really say it like you mean it. Like, hey, Jesus really cares about you, man. Because um, I want you to hear what the disciples say, okay? In verse 38, it says this. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, Jesus, are you sleeping? <laughs> The boat is rocking, man. Now, uh, I want you to understand something. Why is he sleeping? Possibly, it could possibly be because it is evening, the Bible tells us. He's had a long day of ministry. Have you ever worked so hard where you fall asleep and nothing's going to wake you up? I've had those moments. I remember when Maddie, our firstborn, was three months old. And uh, I fell asleep. I mean, it was just a long day, work, coming home and doing all this. And I fell asleep. And then I woke up like 10 hours later. And I was like... Maddie didn't even wake up once. It's amazing. This is the best baby ever. And I look at my wife and I tell her that, and she looks at me with this evil eyes and says, she woke up five times, crying, screaming, and you would not even budge. So I understand. I feel Jesus here. So that's possible. It could be what's happening. Or secondly, it could be that he's doing it on purpose to see where the disciples are. We don't know clearly. But there are some reasons why Jesus is actually sleeping. And I want you to see what the disciples say. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to hear that question. Because this is a question that Christians have wrestled with for a long time. Do you not care, Jesus, about what's happening in my life? Have you ever asked that question? I have. Jesus, do you not see that my family member is sick? How can you make me lose my job? How can you make me go through this financial struggle? How can you let that person do that to me? Do you not care about what's happening in Puerto Rico? Do you not care the people that got hurt in the Las Vegas incident? And these are things that we as Christians need to wrestle with. And we've seen this even in scripture, if you look, and this is why, actually, I love reading the Psalms, because you're going to see some truly, um, some wonderful things in there. If you look at Psalm 10:1, you see this struggle with, do you not care about my situation? It says this, the psalmist speaking to the Lord and saying, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of And this is when the great, I'm not talking about you spill coffee on yourself and you're like, dang it. I'm talking about big, great windstorms in life. When those come, the question that you're going to have to wrestle through is, does God care about me? Because that's where the disciples are. But can I stop here and say something?
if you read the Bible at all, if you read it clearly from cover to cover, I want to confidently tell you, God cares about you. Amen? Jeremiah 31.3 says that God loves us with an everlasting love. A love that does not end. It's not based on our performance. It never ceases to amaze us how much he cares for you and I. And when you doubt that, and when you fall on the side of I don't know or I don't think he does, then it will steal your joy and hope when you go through the struggle. Uh, I was reading this book recently. It's by Paul David Tripp. I love it. It's a book called Awe. It's about worshiping God, understanding who he is and worshiping him. And he has this chapter on difficulties. And I thought it was very profound because he mentions five questions that when you go through a difficulty that will either, by the way you answer it, will either steal your hope or seal your hope. And these are the five questions. I want you to take a look. It says this. The way you answer these questions will either build hope in you or destroy your hope. And he says this, is God good? If you answer yes, your hope will rise. Doesn't matter what the difficulty. If it's no, you will struggle. Your hope will be stolen. Will God do what he promised? Is God in control? Does God have the needed power? And the last one he mentions, because you can think like kind of theologically or for the whole world, like, yeah, God is powerful, God loves. But how about to me individually? Does he care about me? And what Paul David Tripp is saying is, if you answer yes confidently to this, whatever great windstorm you go through, hope will rise. So I need you to wrestle. As Christians, don't just come and say, I kind of. No, because there will be times where you are tested. And you need to know, is God good? Yes, amen, he is. Will God do what he promised? Yes, of course he will. Is God in control? Does God have the need of power? Does God care about me? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. That he does. This is why in Hebrews 4.16, it says this. I love this. It says, let us then. Do you mind shooting that up, Scott? Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help you know why you can approach the throne with confidence? It's because you understand that he loves you and cares for you. He sent his own son to die so that you can have access to that. That's why we go with confidence. That's what happens when you have trust and you can say God does care about me. I want to share a quote from that book. He says this, uh, Paul David Tripp. He says, God's care is foundational. It lets me know that all that he is, he is for me. His care means he will be good for me. His care means he will do what he promised for me. His care means he will exercise his control for me. His care means he will unleash his awesome power for me. The Bible never debates God's care. It assumes and declares it. It confronts you with the lavish nature of his mercy and love. He's the ultimate loving father. He's the one who stays closer than a brother. He alone will never leave you no matter what. He's the one who never sends you without going with you. He's your protector, guide, defender, teacher, savior, and healer. He never mocks your weaknesses. He never uses your sin against you. His care is so awesome and so complete that nothing in your life's experience in any way compares. He cares. Amen? That is how much God loves and cares 
for us. And so when you go through those times when doubts will creep in, and they will, where you start to ask yourself, Jesus, do you not see or do you not care about what's happening? Christian, brother or sister, I'm going to encourage you emphatically. He does. And you stand on that truth. And hope will rise. Um, All right, let's move on to the third point. The third point is this. In the text, you're going to see that they go from great fear. And what Jesus wants to birth in the disciples is a great faith. In verse 39, it says this. And he woke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Jesus is rebuking the wind like a little dog. Like it's like you're not listening. Hey, and he's got that much control over the elements, okay? And they obey. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? I want to pause there real quick because... uh, Joe Stowell, he's a professor, and he speaks about this text about fear. And he says something very interesting that I wanted to share with you. He says this, fear shows up primarily, right, when the focus on protecting and preserving me. Overcoming fear begins with deciding that some things in life are more important than ourselves. And it shows up here, right, because we are fearful. You know what's the scariest person is a person doesn't, that doesn't care if you kill them. Isn't that scary? Because they don't care about, like, preserving themselves. But here, the disciples, that's what their focus was. How about me, Jesus? How come you're not caring about me? And Jesus wants them to get over that. Not that that's not important, but that's secondary. And he says, in his response, why are you so afraid? He says, have you still no faith? what he wants to do is he wants to build in them faith and trust in Jesus because I want to do great things in your life. Let's not get so caught up in self-preservation but to know that if we just wrap our minds around just self, self-preservation fear will rise. When you're able to see that man there are greater things than just my life here. We can run the race that Jesus wants us to run. And it's interesting because in this text, the seas, the winds, the elements, they hear his voice and they obey. How about the disciples and how about us? The wind, the seas, they all know Jesus. They see him as he is. The disciples, they don't. As you can tell by the end, the response, who is this? And how about us? Because when we go through the great windstorms, Difference is going to be understanding that Jesus is good, he's God, and he's with us, and he is enough. And that changes everything. I want to share a little story about a guy named Brian Sweeney, because I want you to see a person that does not care so much about self-preservation, but wants to live this life fully trusting in the Lord. Take a look. My whole story started when I was about uh, 18 years old. Um, I started getting these bloody noses like crazy, like every day. And um, I got a call from my doctor and he said, you need to go straight to the hospital right now. The first thing that they thought was, was cancer at the time. So um, the doctor said, you know, you'll probably have about a year to live. 
that was the time when I really started thinking about, you know, what I was doing with my life. I got involved a little bit in ministry at that time and uh, got caught back up in work and all of a sudden I, my ministry took a back seat in my life and, and God kind of took a back seat. I found out I had this uh, disease called ALPS. It's an autoimmune disease where uh, the good cells attack the good cells thinking that they're bad. This last year, I was at a family event. I got really sick, and with my disease, you have to go straight to the hospital as soon as you get any kind of sickness. So as time progressed, I was getting sicker and sicker. I was so weak and so tired uh, that I just, uh, I ended up falling asleep right then. Um, I didn't wake up until two weeks later, so um, I was in a coma. It was just a long amount of dreaming, but the difference was all of the dreams were survival dreams. My fiance and others who were there, uh, while I was sick, they were talking to me, and I could hear them, I think, and I think it was affecting me fighting in my dreams, and I had no idea, you know. For all I knew, I just, I was taking a nap, you know, having a couple dreams, and, and I woke up two weeks later having no idea that that much time had passed. Um, when I first woke up, I actually had uh, blackness, like completely covering my, like what used to be my fingers here, and it was uh, just, just totally black, you know, which was uh, really scary at first when I first saw it. Um, but the machines were pumping the oxygen to the vital organs that were necessary, so they were getting all the oxygen, and my fingers and toes weren't, so they were going to have to amputate. Um, at first, you would think that I, I would be upset and mad, but I, all I could think was just, I'm, I'm so lucky that I'm awake, you know? I could have just as easily passed away in that coma. I had about a 10% chance of living. And from that point forward, every surgery I had, I felt like Jesus was right there with me. Um, and he started to use me within the hospital with, with the nurses and with the other people in the hospital. All of them were like blown away by the fact that I was so happy. And they were like, but are you sure you're okay? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I know that I have a savior, Jesus Christ, who's here with me and that God's doing this for a reason and he's gonna use this for something great. And that was a way that I was able to influence others through my story. When I first came back to church, I remember the music starting and I was just crying, like bawling from happiness, from joy, from the fact that I was surrounded by a group of other believers. It really made me count my blessings. That's what I hope everyone who's listening to this begins to do because I don't want you to be on your deathbed to have to realize, man, I need to fix my life. I want you to just realize it right now and know that like every day we should be glorifying God. We should be finding new ways to better the world around us and and, you know, everything is a blessing, and I hope people start to count their blessings. Oh, what an amazing story, right? But I want you to see something, because I think you can look at that, and maybe some of us, our reaction is, I don't have that faith. That's great for him. I don't have that faith. As I wrap up, I want to share with you, Romans 12.3 talks about how um, there's a measure of faith that's given to each and every one of us. And some of us are gifted with some immense faith. That's from God. It's not because you're great. It's just a measure. It says that every one of us is given a measure of faith. And however little that faith is, I want you to understand that God can use that to do great things. I want to end with Matthew 17, 20. <clears throat> the disciples could not uh, take out a demon. They couldn't cast out the demon. And so... Uh, Matthew 17, 
It's not on there. Sorry. All right, so this is why it's important to bring a Bible, right? So if you have a Bible, okay, or if you have your phone, turn to Matthew 17. Verse 20, the disciples could not cast out this demon. So they, they say, why can we not do that? And then Jesus says to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be impossible. This is really powerful. You know, what, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying the size of your faith doesn't matter as much as the object of your faith. The little bit of faith that all of you have as you sit here, if you place it in Christ, it's like a mustard seed and it could grow and have great impact. I want you to understand something. Maybe you're sitting here, you're going through a difficult trial, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have the faith to get through this. No, the little bit. Take it to Jesus, and it's enough. Because the object of the faith is more important than the measure given to us. And let's just be honest. Jesus knows all of us, and we're all going to struggle with fear and doubt when difficulties come. Because we're human. But in the midst of that, every little ounce of faith that you can, you place it in Christ, who, as Pastor Steve reminded us, he is with us from here now till eternity. Amen? And so we place our faith, and God could do amazing things. Not because we're great, not because our size of the measure of our faith is great, but because our God can take any little mustard seed and do great things. That's my encouragement. Maybe some of you, there's doubt. Maybe you're going through that trial or difficulty or that great windstorm now. Be reminded, the word tells us, go to Jesus. When you feel helpless, know that he is our help and that he is enough. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you that you are so good. And your word is so powerful and reminds us and encourages us. It speaks into our lives. I want it to take root in our hearts and remind us and may it bear fruit, a fruit where it leads us to more of you in our lives. I pray a special prayer, especially for those that are going through a great windstorm in their own life. Oh God, would your presence be so evident to them? Would they be people that would cast their cares upon you? Because your Bible is clear that you care for us. We just thank you that you would care for every soul like us. We don't deserve it. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.